Welcome one and all to a new episode of my RPG podcast. In this episode, my good friend Jens Reineking joins me to talk about the roles of PCs in RPGs. Enjoy. Welcome one and all to a new episode of my RPG podcast. Today's guest is my good friend Jens Reineking. Jens, will you please introduce yourself? Hi, uh, I'm Jens Reineking, Jens, uh, Mr. Rock and Roll on the internet. Um, and I'm from Germany, as you probably can tell from my accent. And uh, well, I've been playing RPGs for a few years now. And I'm very, yeah, very excited to be on the show. And it's always good to have Jens on. Air Hangout here is one of my best friends, uh, internet friends, for, uh, from the past couple of years. And he's going to give us an interesting perspective here because Jens not only plays RPGs, but he also has a, a background in acting. Is that correct? Yeah, I've been doing uh, amateur theater for, for well, 25 years now. And who, so better, think... who better than to bring on to talk about the role of a player? in an RPG. So first things first, uh, let's just get the general kind of heading of how this is going to work. If you've heard the uh, Game Master episode previously, um, I'm going to bring forth a couple of statements and uh, we're going to kind of discuss the merits of each of these statements that's tied to being a player. So the first statement that I kind of want to start off right off the bat is, as a player, the story is all about you. Agree, disagree, what do we think? Yeah, disagree and agree. <laughs> so it's it's a mixed bag, uh, because well, yeah, obviously I'm I'm the central part of my story. But if I don't don't appreciate what the others are doing and sometimes taking myself back, um, no one will have a good time, and that's that's the whole point. Yeah, I think. Um... The inherent idea is you come forward in a role-playing game, you know, two-thirds of RPG is role-playing. So you want to play a role, any which role to be important, but just by virtue of the fact that there's other people at the table or on the, you know, digital interface, whatever you're using, um, you have to be conscientious of when it's not your, uh, not you're not the focus. Your, your story is maybe on the back burner for a little bit. Um, and, and I think a lot of this comes from, and we, we both, I think have a small, my mind significantly smaller than your background in improv theater. It's, uh, the idea of yes. And first, which is playing along with whatever somebody else kind of comes up with as a premise. And secondly, it's the idea of trying to enhance the other person in the, whatever scene you're in, or in this case, in whatever game we're in. Right. Yeah. So you're trying to, yeah. um, so if I, if I see somebody who's kind of going down a line in a trek, it would be wrong of me in an improv and it'd be wrong of me in an RPG if I was a player to go like, well, then my person steps in and, and does this and takes center stage. Realistically, you kind of want to feed them to continue on to whatever avenue or um, storyline or arc they're trying to pursue, hoping then that they would do the exact same thing for you when it comes to your time to follow up with your amazing, dark, brooding backstory or whatever it is you've brought. <laughs> Yeah, I th yeah. I always feel like it's a bit of a, uh, I've got a dual personality when I'm playing. So one part is the character, and the other part is a player who's kind of keeping the the meta level in in view, and is going, okay. Normally my character would now step in and do that, but I'm consciously deciding not to act out the character at this specific moment. Because someone else is, it's someone else's uh, moment to shine, or the other way around. The scene is completely stuck. Some something's not moving forward, and then I'm deciding. Okay, normally my player would be a bit more subdued in this moment, but because nothing's happening, um, I'm gonna tweak the character a bit and and step in and and try to to move things forward. Yeah, and I think that's kind of funny because, you know, with an acting background, you know where your your 
point is to come in. You know what your cue is to come into a scene. But as a as an RPG player, and a lot of us aren't naturally actors who have improv training. I happen to have a small bit from school. You have extensive bits of it, but I think the majority of people who play RPGs aren't actors. So they're having to learn this skill, no previous background, in it, right at the mm-hmm. table. So you, it's kind of a, an interesting thing um, to learn, of course, a handbook and to learn rules. And we'll talk about rules in a second. To learn rules and create your own character, but then also to have to learn how all these other people work and when is the opportune time to speak up and when's not the opportune time, right? Yeah. I mean, the I think the best idea is to, if, so, yeah, let me put, let me put an example forward. So, uh, we were in our current campaign. We had to have find a wizard because we had a problem, and he was a, reputed as a very, not as a dark wizard, but dangerous. And so everyone was standing around the tower and across from from his tower in a corner and discussing. Oh, we would surveil the do some surveillance. Maybe hire the local thieves guild to to figure out how to get in, and. I was going, oh no, this will take forever. And and no one came to a point to a decision. Then I decided, okay, let's move this forward. Can I find a way that is still within my character, uh, but but move the scene forward? I said, okay, he's been acting really rash in the and uh, really impulsive over the last last months. So I just left the group standing at the corner, walked over and knocked at the wizard's door. While everyone else was still figuring out how to even find out, out if he's home, and uh, the door got open, we got some nice tea, and the story moved forward. Uh, so that was a really fun moment. But it, um, the challenge for me was okay, noticing nothing's happening, and finding a way to to move the story forward, but use what has been established about my character. Yeah, and that perfectly ties into another one of the statements I kind of wanted to come up with, which is every session you should know what your character is going to do. Now, this statement is is kind of I'm going to you know agree and disagree, right? Because because a lot of these statements are bold enough that we can both do that. I will say that this one in particular, however, as I, I think I think this is the one that's I think the easiest for me to um uh kind of find fault with is because so much of what your character does in an RPG is actually not about their story. It's about kind of justifying why you're in this group, justifying your relationships with the people there, and then you as a you know meta perspective, you as a PC justifying, well, how do we find out whatever the next step or move is, meta arc is, that these people want to do? Because like you mentioned, sometimes you will curtail a reaction not based off of what your character would have done, but because you want to see the momentum move forward. So you might have an idea of like, oh, well, we're about to go into that wizard's tower. Maybe we're either going to fight him or get an item for him. That that might be your plan coming in. But instantly somebody might bring in something different or want to run away from the tower and then hear about the lost maiden in the woods. And now your game has taken a 180 degree turn and you have to react to that accordingly. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I'm trying to have kind of, well, not necessarily a goal for the session, but kind of have a general direction in which I'm heading with a character. Uh, so like having having a landmark or a compass in, in mind <laughs> so I can navigate the session. And, and I'd have to ask you personally this. Uh, when you create your characters, I, I, I know obviously we, we come in, we're anticipating everything's going to be changed up and then it's going to be drastically different because of the influence of the other players and whatever the GM has in mind, he or she has in mind. But do you ever have the idea of like, here's a character at level one or, you know, power point one hundred or whatever, but I really wanted eventually to get to this point or hit these beats. Do you kind of already think of the last chapter when you create the first chapter? No, not really. Um, but I, my my favorite character has been uh, uh, a samurai I played in Legends of the Five Rings, uh, and uh, I came up with a really strong idea of 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 his general character, of his of his main flaw and motivation, mm-hmm. and and that drove his development. And uh, then seeing what happens in the story, I 
looked actually looked then at the rules and okay, I want to progress and with what's happened, what would, what kind of new direction or change of direction do the rules allow? Do the advancements allow? See, that's actually similar to something I've had as, as a game master myself, uh, one of my players come up to me. Uh, I've had a player come up to me with a, a concept that wasn't tied to the system we were talking about. He goes, hey, how can I do... Uh, it was Arrow, if, if, if you're a fan of the DC, uh, Green Arrow. Uh, Green Arrow. <laughs> he came to me and he was like, hey, I really love Green Arrow. Is there such a thing in this game, in Dungeons & Dragons? That was what I was playing at the time. And I was like... I mean, sort of Ranger, but Ranger's kind of a little more woodsy. You're looking for more trick shoddy stuff, which is not exactly like a martial fighter. So I, I went onto the internet and I tried to find a, like a combination or see if anybody had done a sort of build like that. And I explained to him like, okay, you won't be able to do all the all, cool Oliver Queen stuff at level one. But the way this is created, the way this is blocked out is if we get to you know certain levels you're going to feel way more and more like green arrow and that's kind of mm -hmm. you know while not him obviously knowing what he wanted to like how the story beats were going to end and whether he was going to retire or die violently on the battlefield and you know level a thousand or ten he had an idea though of what he wanted his character to become at least yeah yeah so that's that that, that to, to that question or to that concept of like knowing how you want the end to be. I think you can have an idea of what you want your character to be capable of, and then it's all about communication with your uh, game master because he or she is the person who ultimately will say like, "Oh yeah, here's how I can facilitate that," or I take that to, into consideration. Hopefully, I can work the story in that way. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I've I've done this with my extensively with my current. Uh, D&D fighter I'm playing. So uh, between sessions, I've often emailed back and forth with my, my, with my GM mm -hmm. to, to figure out, okay, this has happened and now advancement and a bigger advancement is in the cards. So what do we do? What, what would be fitting to, to, to develop this, this fighter in, in the further in the way that that's been happening? And we've, it's kind of a homebrew D&D system based on edition one. Nice. <laughs> way back. Which is just really weird. So, uh, so we, so we house rule practically every, everything when we advance, there's just not no stuff to look up. And so we, we intensively discuss. Uh, so now that there's a new level, new, new advantages, new, new tools, new weapons, whatever. So how do we do this? And how do we balance it out? And how does it tie to the backstory? And is it even possible in the world we have established? That's interesting. So there's a lot of systems that are, are not laissez-faire with when it comes to like rules or classes or abilities, but like the open legend system, which is one I've played in before, will literally just say like, describe the series of actions you're going to take. And then I'll determine which one of your abilities that's tied to and that make a roll. And I've played another system before that was, you know, it's a very small, it was an indie um, system called OVA, which is like an anime system where literally mm -hmm. it's all D6 based. And at one time, I think I was rolling like my 12 D6 versus somebody's 16 D6. It was very stupid. But the entire uh, thing is you look at all your character abilities and stuff like that and you go, well, the reason I justify I should get an advantage and get more D6 is because I'm really, really wealthy. Also, I'm neurotic. And I'm a LC, also OCD. And I have this. And so, like, you and your GM are doing this dance back and forth. Like, you're right. You do get that. So I'll give you your additional, you know, 4D6 for that. But my character happens to be, you know, a, a noble. So he he's not impressed by your money. So he'll get an additional. But, like, it's this kind of funny constant back and forth to where I don't yeah. think we were ever playing the game correctly. But it just got to that point. I, I, I think somewhere in the game, it's, like, only certain things applied to combat or only certain things applied to social interaction checks but i got to a certain point where i was like sure why not tell, tell me how money makes you better at striking with a sword <laughs> yeah 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 i would love to, to play a system like that yeah uh, we'll be using that in between so we're setting up uh the next thing and then we follow the rules there's not much discussing around the tables to 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 fudge or to to, to adjust the rules during play so we try to do it all beforehand Speaking of awesome segues, another one of our great statements that we can talk about here is as a player, you should have read the rule book before you start the first session. Well, speaking as myself, yes. Speaking generally, 
not the whole book. <laughs> I will, being me, I will probably have at least skimmed the whole book because I'm kind of tend to over prepare. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Uh, and also, I'm, I like to know what I'm doing so that I won't be, the rules won't get in the way of the play. Yeah. Um, but usually, I think it's enough to, okay, familiarize yourself with, if the setting is there, you know, you should know the basic of the settings, and you should know, uh, if, if it's D&D, &D, for example, you should know that the basic check is a D20 and how to do that. Um yeah, but um, yeah, I've always made the point to my characters that I don't ever sorry my player characters that I don't ever anticipate them to know all the um, in and outs of a, of a handbook. I mean, I don't want you to know every equipment thing and how much it costs and what level unlocks. Blah 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 blah. However, if it pertains to your character, I think you should know it. Because I'm trying to wiggle, you know, uh, my, all my knowledge from the various systems I play in the world and the NPCs and the voices and then all of your skills and abilities and then my monsters that are fighting. There's a lot of, you know, plates in the air that I'm trying to do. So I rely on you then to if, if you announce a thing and I go, wait, 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 how's that work? What is that? Wait, what is that do again? I want you to at least know that. Or uh, if you're going to imply that you have uh, an ability or a, a item. I want you to be able to give me a description of that just so then I can at least understand that like, okay, that's fine. That's good. Or like, maybe that's a bit too much. Not right now. You shouldn't have that or use that. Yeah. I mean, the, I think the book that I looked at the most are the Legend of the Five Rings. Uh, a, because we changed uh, from third edition to fourth edition during our campaign. Uh, so we had to relearn some stuff, but also because I got to a point where I tried to plan a bit ahead my advancement. And so I tried to find within the rules the stuff that would complement my my character ideas. So I was really reading and rereading some of the schools and some of the, the weapons and skills just to figure out what what would be the best flavor to to, to add to my character. But I, I got a bit obsessive. But it, but it's, but it's also nice. I think for for the GM, it can be nice to have someone at the table who can say, "Okay, deal with that." I, I'm looking. I look up the rules. I know approximately what's in the book. I'm looking it up. Uh, we can do do this later. Just deal with another player in the meantime. That's actually one of the statements that uh, I wanted to talk about. And I, the, one of the few ones I actually I think I agree with almost wholeheartedly. Do not call the GM out on a rules uh, issue or conflict in the middle of the game. While um, I know sometimes you know everyone is fallible and he or she or they can make a mistake while running the game. I think it breaks the verisimilitude or the immersion. If all of a sudden you break out the handbook or the text or your phone to be like, but wait, technically, and, you know, if there's a subtle way you can do it that possibly, you know, will will not ruin the flow. Sure, absolutely. I, I've, I've seen people who bring note cards to the uh, table so you can pass secret messages between you and the game master. That way, like if you were to do the note card approach, he or she can look down, see that and then go, actually, I'm incorrect. But to openly declare and kind of uh, strike against whatever the GM or a DM is doing at the time, I feel like is probably one of the biggest cardinal offenses. It really depends on your relationship to the GM. So if you're saying both, okay, yeah, we know this works, but we both don't know how. Uh, you can kind of, like I said, just, okay, deal, deal with someone else. I'm looking it up and then we can do my scene or my bit. Um, um, yeah, and sometimes as a player, you have really prepared stuff and you, you want to pull out of a certain thing. And that's why I, I, when in doubt, I, de I defer to the, to the GM, mm -hmm. but there are points where I'm saying, okay, I actually know that this would work. This is what I built my character for. Now I can't do it. Well, it's kind of stinks and uh, it stinks. It does. It, it stinks as well. <laughs> but um, yeah, they, but if it gets too long, I'm going to say, okay, yeah, let's let's find something else. I'm doing whatever. Well, that, that's that's one can... of the cases, though. I'll say, like, well, so my interpretation of this was like, 
in the middle of a battle or something's happening currently where everybody's involved, you stop and you go, that's incorrect. And you grab the book and you like, I like your approach. Of, like if let's say it's not your turn or somebody's not, uh, not uh, if, you, if somebody's on a character beat and you're not involved, you subtly kind of doing that and being like, oh, actually, no, on this page is where the answer is. And then if you could communicate that to the GM or DM, not interrupting the flow. My whole thing is I've always worried about the idea of like, like in an improv, nobody in improv goes, stop, pull up, timeout, guys. Uh, what, what, what are we doing again? So I, I didn't like what yeah. you, could you have done a different response? Like that breaks, you know, the, that's the opposite of yes and. It's no but. So um, the way I kind of run my games is typically I'll, I'll, if I don't know a ruling, I'll ask somebody like, hey, could you just look that up real quick? I don't know. Or I'm just going to rule it like this and I'll, I'll figure it out later. But if we're in the middle of something, I, you know, an interruption like that uh, to, to argue over a rules thing, I'm, a, I'm usually a, a little bit more harsh than if you were to wait five minutes and then tell me about it. And then if I made the mistake, and I do all the time, I've, I, I, I killed a character not too long ago and then somebody came back and said, I totally made a mistake. I actually had this ability which would have saved my life. And I'm like, damn it. Um, do you want me to go back and like try to rectify that or are you – cool moving forward and they move forward with it which you know was really mature of them but i also would have understood if they went like yeah I, I had this ability i should have gotten out of there you know i don't want my character to die and i would have been like yeah. that was my bad yeah i mean the, the thing is the group i've been playing in the most we are kind of scattered all across germany but we still meet to play face to face but we only meet a few times a year, so our sessions tend to be really long. So we have breaks, so we can kind of do this rule stuff in, in the breaks mm -hmm. if, if something's coming up. So that's that's also easy. But you, what you just, the story, the anecdote you just told is a pet peeve of mine, because I'm, my one of my strong opinions is if you're going to play a role-playing game, you should absolutely prepared for your character to suffer and die perfect that's one of these other statements we're going to talk about it uh do not get super connected to your character you're more more than likely going to die so you you you're you have the belief that you should be ready for your character to die yeah definitely i mean um i don't want him to die and i sometimes get kind of attached to my characters but uh, this is an adventurer. I'm not playing an office worker. I'm playing a samurai fighter, uh, uh, combat mag magician, or whatever. This is an adventurer who goes out, proactively seeks out danger and mysteries. So, and what's the thrill of an of an adventure movie, for example, or, or TV series? It's a danger, and if you're if I'm not willing to risk anything why I'm playing the game. And you know what's interesting about that is not too long ago, I saw a Twitter uh, poll from one of the kind of RPG sphere's biggest kind of talking heads, Matthew Colville, where he asked, in regards to D&D, &D, of course, because uh, he's, you know, D&D &D adjacent, um, he asked, like, by, I think, sixth or seventh level, should there be at least one uh, player character death in your party? And it's various things like, yes, totally, more than one, not, no, unless they're idiots, or none at all, you know, and the vast majority of people said no unless they're idiots. So there's an assumption. Now, mind you, this is just an isolated sample size. But there's I – I, I think in modern gaming, because we've gotten very like role-play heavy, uh, there's this assumption that, oh, well, obviously we're going to make it through or kind of maybe do a sex machina because we want to get to be really badass, awesome heroes and adventurers or scoundrels and rogues. But RPGs – were at their birth and origin war games and harsh and difficult to beat. And especially you talk about first edition Dungeons and Dragons, there was a lot of cases about like, oh, uh, you know, you open that door and there was a death trap and it comes up and it cuts your head off and you're done. And that just, that was it. There was no, no roll against it. There was no, you know, uh, you know, oh, I have this ability. It was just your head got chopped off. So yeah. it, it's, it's fun. It's funny that people, People would think that, oh, well, I do have this overarching, you know, story I want to tell. And this comes back to what we said a little bit earlier, this idea of like some people who come in at level one who's like, oh, well, I'm the peasant boy who wants to become a knight who are already planning when they're a knight and they have land and a, a manor and a wife and kids and the whole – like they're already planning that thing. But that's not necessarily how the game plays because we add in the probability and the dice rolling or the card drawing or whatever it is that your system does, which can absolutely yeah. kill you. Yeah, I think what helped 
me personally is that the first system I played was, was Legend of the Five Rings. Mm -hmm. And a good samurai story is is tragic. So you kind of um, always have in the back of your mind that a good samurai story will end with death and destruction <laughs> or with uh, with people suffering or that you, you, you will because of part of the bushy code, you will sacrifice yourself for your for your lord, for example. Yeah, you've got actually uh, you've got a, a good point there as well. I mean, me having been to Japan and also a big fan of Japanese culture and stuff like that, to understand the bushido code and also understand Japanese mythology and mentality is it's death is not very much something that's feared. Death is something you as a samurai should prepare for. And the belief is if you go into battle, this is very contradictory to a lot of Western, especially American beliefs, is you should go into battle prepared to die, therefore you will succeed. Whereas the idea mm -hmm. in, you know, of American or Western cultures is like you don't want to die, you fight like hell to do anything not to die. Don't accept, you know, failure as as an option. So as 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 your character being a samurai, it kind of makes sense that they're like, I've chosen this path. Death is inevitable. It's going to happen either tomorrow or you know next week or whatever. So when your character does yeah. die, you're like, well, that all makes sense inside of the character. Yeah, and the only thing that's important was important in that specific campaign was if I'm gonna die, I have to die honorably. That that was the main thing. Uh, so honor over death. <laughs> and that that really drove drove some interesting role playing decisions uh because my character being uh, a samurai detective <laughs> interesting combination um really good at at putting out damage but really bad at taking damage so always first at the front line and the second combat round he was lying down on the floor bleeding a glass cannon <laughs> as they say yeah, it was really interesting. It became kind of a running gag because I think over three or four sessions in a row, he was nearly dying at the end. So your Sherlock Hattori Hanzo character was having hard time surviving. Interesting. Or yeah. it's Sherlock Musashi, I guess would be your case. Um, yeah. That, that, that's actually a really fun character uh, build. And that's look, that's that's something I, 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 in, I tell this to um, any aspiring GM. And I also tell this to players as well: is um, always assume that your your GM is on your side, because I think as a GM, it's your job to try to make uh, the people at the table have a good time and enable them to have a good time. But never take it uh, personally when your character dies, because that has to be a part of the game. Um, yeah. You know, I, I don't. I, ne I never. I never. I never err on the side of thinking like, "Oh, well, he or she is out to get me." I'm like, no, they're trying to make a really interesting scenario or really captivating or, um, you know, hair hair raising tense moment by giving you a, maybe a monster that's stronger than you anticipated or you sh you're, you're not leveled for. I don't think they ever do it with the intent to kill you, but it is a very real uh, reality. Yeah, and I actually had a, we had a situation once around the table where the whole session broke down because someone got really upset because well my character can't do anything and I know this is well, this is getting too difficult and she I think it was I don't know he or she got really attached to the characters we were playing to the, to the specific group and was really getting afraid that the characters were gonna die and that brought the the whole game to a complete standstill for for an hour and that's something i'm going okay hmm yeah i i don't want to play sims i want to risk my life yeah because you want to play I, I mean i think most rpgs are power fantasy you know we are here to play bigger and stronger of ourselves and with that most people also want to play a grandiose adventures or swashbuckling you know pirate seafaring tales or like these big bold you know dramas and tragedies and epics um uh, very few people i think also want to come with the emotional baggage that comes with that life as well because because we're still playing in like a marvel universe 
version yeah. of this alt where it's like, all right, well, you know, the world's going to be okay eventually and somehow and fine. Like, unless your game is specifically like grim, dark, dystopia, fantasy and stuff like that, you, you still have no kind of issue with the fact that you just ran through a room and slaughtered 15 people and then jumped into the room and did another 10. Like, you don't stop to take a moment about like, we are beheading people. We're severing them in half. Like, this is grotesque and gore. But you kind of yeah. wave it off as, oh, we're, we're, we're heroes. It's what we do. Yeah, but also, um, if there's no no dice situations in the game, be it social or be it combat, um, <clears throat> combat uh, those dice situations bring out the most juicy uh, bits of the game. So that's where it gets emotional or where you have to get creative to escape or survive or uh, Trick, trick the opposite side. So if there's no no risk involved, doesn't have to be death. But if there's no risk involved, um, I think there's less drive to the game. And I will say, as a as as a GM watching my players react, some of the most memorable and the craziest moments are those moments to where like it finishes or it ends, and we they either go, oh my god, I don't know how we're gonna get out, or I cannot believe we survived that. And holy shit, that was amazing. And like, because if it, if the answer is obvious, then it becomes a game of like, okay, well, did I just deduce what the GM or DM wanted me to do or what the best, you know, ability was or spell was or, or the play best play was. Whereas if it was one of those things to where on surface level, they have no idea how the hell they get out of there. And through sheer spite and ingenuity and dumb luck, sometimes they do. Yeah. Then that's super memorable. That's something you talked about for years. Yeah, we had actually had a situation like that in the last game for at least for my character. I had really good luck leveling up, rolling the the hit point dice. Mm -hmm. So if you're in a fight and someone says, "Okay, I'm dealing out them," I'm going, "Okay, yeah, okay, fine, I can take that." <laughs> He's is really gotten to be a tank, and it's that's just it doesn't feel dangerous most of the fights. And then we scaled a mountain. And we were kind of like 2,000 meters up up the mountain, sheer sheer mountain. And then we got attacked by, by giant eagles. And suddenly it got even dangerous for my character because, yeah, I can take what the eagles can dish out. But if I lose my grip, I don't won't survive a 2,000 meter fall. Yeah, there's always something bigger and scarier than you, regardless of how yeah. tanky your tank is. Yeah, and that was the first fight that actually felt challenging for for quite a, quite a while, so that was really fun. So that's where I'm going. That's why I'm saying okay, there need to needs to be a bit of a risk to 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 make the games memorable. Yeah. So that that ties into something here, but this is probably whereas one of the easiest statements was the uh, disagreeing with the GM in the middle of a game. One, this is one of the hardest ones because I'm I'm, I'm on both sides of this one. Um, the game table is a safe space, and we didn't really come here for any sort of reality seeping into your game. Like we want to keep the um, real world outside of the table. And this one I'm, I flip flop on all the time. Um, and I'm going to kind of start because I, because I have thoughts on this. I am. Um, what do you mean by real world? Oh, oh so sure, 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 sure. So political, political issues. Oh, so, so, so what I was meaning, by, what I was meaning by this is it, while it doesn't have to be current events, it's if you're dealing with, let's say a suppressed minority group, the actions taken are reminiscent of what happened in reality. Or if you're dealing with people who are abducted or slaves, there's an abject you know, reality that sexual assault comes into that case, possibly rape comes into that case. You know, when you talk about, you know, the, so that's the things of like taking examples from the real world or let's say genocide, yeah. right? Things like that. So I'm, I'm, this is the one that's so hard uh, for me because um, there's a part of me that understands the idea of this is escapism. Like this table is to get us away from the harshness and the reality. And the, the reference I made earlier about, you know, the Marvel universe of like, oh, well, you know, you know, everything will be resolved and retconned and everything will be okay. And like, it's a little happy go lucky, nothing super high stakes. You kind of, uh, I kind of get that approach. And I totally understand that as well. But I think we are served so much better as storytellers and as people to be able to work through situations or, um, uh, scenarios that are difficult and are like that and to have the ability to make a change because for me uh, some of the things i've been through in my life and things like that 
a lot of what I, uh, the horrors and atrocities that happen around the world I cannot control uh, or my impact was little to none. Whereas when I play these characters or I'm running these games, I give them the opportunity to make that difference. So if we're playing a hero's game, you have the ability to stop the slavers and free the people and or discontinue you know the tyrannical reign uh, of, of the, the horrible emperor because you, you know, defeat him or convince the people to overthrow him. So I... I it's I'm so hard because like I understand why nobody wants to be you know triggered by that or wants that like darkness or reality to seep in, but at the same time I think we're better if we have it. Oh, that's really interesting. Uh, the games I've played so far uh, that has been kept out, at least on the conscious level. So there's no, uh, as far as I can know, there were there was never a conscious design by the GM. To bring in th certain uh, political or social topics, um, but uh, watching some games, I mean, uh, yeah, Critical Role is is good, but I really prefer the stuff that uh, on Geek and Sundry um, Campbell is doing with uh, the Shield of Tomorrow and now Callisto Six, and he's always bringing in real world stuff, and that makes for great storytelling. Um, so, but on the other hand, so that's, that's really fun to watch. I think it would be hard for me as a player to deal with it at times, um, to, to actually act out in that world. But on a, on a much smaller scale of, I think real world always seeps in because you have to make decisions as a player. And if it's a good game, you find some difficult decisions to make. Um, that is real world stuff, um, no matter how you frame it. <laughs> yeah, and and so I mean, so this is this is one that's such a hard one for me because when I've done it incorrectly or I've introduced it into yeah. a place where it hasn't worked, I I got a reaction that was and the ant uh, antithesis 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 of what I wanted and I felt so bad for the people involved and to kind of open up that anecdote a little bit, I was running games for people who were um, coming off of a, in a convention. So they were wanting to play, you know, in, in the middle of the convention. And a lot of these people were possibly new people who were getting into, you know, RPGs that they, you know, never tried before. So, you know, I, I give them, you know, the pre-made character sheets and things like that. And I run them in an adventure, which is, you know, some podunk middle of nowhere, roll of town. And they picked, they just happenstance that didn't, tell them to pick they picked the most exotic races and the most exotic interesting people you know mages and magic users and things like that so throughout the adventure all the common human simpletons would always remark about how strange and different they were and they were bringing what are you guys from the city bringing from these strange lands you have ancient magics and curses and some people were anti you know them because they're foreigners and different and other people just didn't understand like why do you have horns are you a, some sort of demon or something like and I went through that kind of entire thing and the adventure ends about two hours later and I'm, I'm saying goodbye, you know, to everybody. I hope you had a good time at your convention. And I had somebody come up to me who was playing the game and go, yeah, I had a good time. I enjoyed what you did. Because there was, you know, I had an eight-year-old girl and a 60-something-year-old woman both in my game who were absolutely new, each on the opposite side of the spectrum. So I was trying to like somehow curtail the adventure to both of them at the same time and be a little bit rules light. I get towards the end, neither of them told me this, it was somebody else uh, from the table, but I get towards the end and I'm asking them, like, thank you very much for coming out, enjoy the rest of your convention. And they go, yeah, I just didn't like that it was a little bit racist. And I, I was immediately hit with like, oh, wait, what? And then, you know, I stopped and she's like, well, yeah, you know, everybody was mentioning our race and who we were and our horns and the fact that we did magic and things like that. And I was like, oh my God, no, that was not, that was not my intention whatsoever. It was just, cause you know, in the, in the lore, you know, these, these are common humans and, you know, Tiefens are descendant of demons and like, and I'm trying to walk them through that. And I realized they didn't agree to that. They didn't understand the lore. Uh, well, some of the people at the table are new. Some of the people just, uh, have played before. They just wanted to play first and fun. But like, I didn't make that con uh, contract with everybody that like, that's the type of game I was going to run. And this is how the world interacts with your players and uh, your races and your classes. So I immediately like, and this is something that eats me up all the time because I've told this story to my, my regular gaming group on Mondays who I do this with. My Monday game group is like, oh, dude, it's totally fine. Like, we love your game. We don't, we don't think you're a racist. You introduce these kind of concepts because it's storytelling. Like we get it. We're adults here. 
but I didn't have that conversation. I don't have the repertoire with the people at uh, a random convention who are just randoms who come up to you to play. So I always felt like I did a giant disservice and I'm worried. I'm still worried to this day that I possibly turned some people off from that game because I chose to run the game that way. Yeah. This is really tying into, into a bigger conversation about so how much um, how much responsibility lies with which party of the game? I mean, do you speak out about that? How much do you have to anticipate? You can't possibly know all the the real world personal backstories of all your players and know all the stuff that will trigger them. And people will interpret whatever happens through their personal lens. So something that's completely innocent to you uh, might be viewed through a different lens and be seen as as a, as a trigger, um, and it can is a trigger for someone or just offensive. Um, so it's I find it really hard to. I'm on the fence really on how much responsibility falls on the GM in these cases because um, if you enter this kind of game. I think as a player, you also have a bit of a responsibility to a be have some kind of um, what is called a suspense of belief. Yeah, suspense disbelief. of disbelief. Yes. Yeah, and and to just ex roll with it, or if it really isn't for you, to just say, okay, time out, um, this isn't working for me. Um, and and yes, we talked about it. You you shouldn't break the flow, but if it's if it's really making you uncomfortable to the point where you can't enjoy the game, um, I think you should speak up. Yeah, and I mean, that's one of the, it's one of those times where, like, I think I would have objectively, and I I mean, it, it's, it's a bold thing to ask a person to do. I, I, I think, you know, maybe I'm putting too much on my GM side and I, I should have asked a little more of my players, but again, these were random people I didn't know. But yeah. it's one of those things to where uh, I think moving forward, I would have told somebody, like, yeah, rules a rules uh, issue, misremembering a spell, like that's a thing to where like that's something we can resolve later or subtly. But if this is pers something that's personal, like personally offensive to you and affecting you so much, especially like that, I know it's very um, intimidating to, to be with a group of people to say, "Stop your fun." I have a problem with what's going on. But in that scenario, to where I had again just assumed or forgot forgotten was ignorant of of that uh, perspective because that's just the type of game or i've i played um i wish i wish somebody would have spoke up yeah sorry i didn't get the last bit i said i do wish somebody would have spoke up yeah i mean so now you but now you have the experience and now in the last next time you're running a game like that you can set out that as as an expectation or a rule or, or just allow people to do that beforehand, before the game. I mean, you, you can't know everything, some, some things you learn by experience as a player as well as a GM. Yeah. Well, to go in the opposite direction and change the feelings here, the next statement is, do not be a joke. Make a serious character. Nobody, uh, and this, you know, subtitles, I, I just came up with like funny ideas. So like, Nobody wants to see a luchador in a, a, talk, a talking uh, story. Uh, a Mexican wrestler, luchador, for those of you who don't know. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, Eminem, bard rapper, eh, you know. Uh, nobody wants your name to be YOLO or swag or all those yeah, funny hip terms and things like that or whatever. So do you, what do you think about comedy characters here as a player? Yes, no, maybe so? Uh, it, <laughs> I mean, you went to a different place when you talked about the characters. So, um, but no, I'm, I'm. What was the place you went to? I want to hear that first. I was... <laughs> so I was going. Okay, these can be totally serious characters. You just have to come up with the right backstory, why they have this name, or why they have this specific combination of things, or maybe they are just uh, service level, uh, the, the 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 class clown. Um, but if you dig a little deeper, there's a reason why they're acting this way. 
Um, but uh, yeah, but next, I think we can maybe we talk well, about well, that. Well, I, I, what, I, what, I, what I picked this one for, and I, I'm referencing with this one is, I think it's the meta level joke. So a joke yeah. that like like something that's humorous in world, which is justified, and then you can explain, or if your character is a comedian, like if that's their whole approach, or if they're maybe somebody who's also. Um, you know, if it's, if you're evil, kind of like a joke or like a dark humor sort of thing, or if you're just maybe even maybe even a nihilist who just thinks everything's a joke, so you're like, don't take anything seriously. I understand that from a character's perspective, but it's the thing of like, you want to make the joke because oh, we, it's a reference we all get, or oh, the guys get it, like um, that's that's a thing from the world, and I'm just saying it because it's there for the lols, you know. And I, I think that ties into. Uh, what I, I want to talk about a little bit more was like the uh, sometimes uh, going for like the easy joke that breaks the immersion. Like you see yeah. an opportunity and like and then you go, uh, that's what she said or like something like that. Yeah. I mean, this, I think this going with, uh, yeah, going, going to the, to the improv theater background. So if you go with this, that this is going to be really short form improv. So, you make a joke and you stop the scene because you know after this joke nothing else, nothing good will happen again in this scene. So um, I think these kind of comedic characters maybe are good for one shots. If you, everyone agrees, okay, we're just we're just having a laugh and we're just doing crazy stuff this evening. Um, but I don't think they they work for for longer term storytelling. I'll have to say, like, when it, you mentioned the one-shot thing, like, some of the favorite comedy, uh, comedy one-shots I've seen are absolutely ridiculous and over-the-top. Uh, there's one anybody can – it's for free, I think. It's on the DMs Guild. It's called The Knights of uh, Flavorton, where it's basically mm-hmm. Guy Fieri, who's, you know, the Food Network character. It's it, He has a, a royal knight order, and, like, you get a map of a city where it's, like, Gravy Lane, and all the references are food puns. All the knights are of, of you know – of, I think of like of carbs and of like of cholesterol and like all these jokes where it's su- super over the top and everybody understands that. And because it's a one shot, you know, it's a two to three hour adventure. It's funny. You guys have a lark. You go on past that. Um, if this was a full length campaign, depending on how long your campaigns run, you'd hope that there was more substance. And uh, yeah. that's kind of where my thing about joke characters is. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 <sighs> Uh, so for me, the stuff I like the most to 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 laugh about is uh, when the when comedy when the humor comes out of the combination of character and situation. So um, when it grows organically um, and jokes, kind of by definition, break break the the story flow. Because you, you're trying to, to get a punchline in, and you're trying to do certain things, and uh, and jokes by their very nature are kind of the sh- one of the shortest story forms we have, and with every joke you're telling a mini story, and I, I think you're doing a disservice to the larger story if you pack in a lot of jokes because you, then you you're kind of disrupting the the, the flow of the bigger story. And if you're wanting to just have fun, like, here's the thing. I'll, I'll say in my own, like, devil's advocate against myself, if it's a moment where it's, like, improv to where some, there's a crazy funny scenario or something happens, so one person makes a crack, people start laughing, another person makes a crack again, and you're, you know, joke on top of joke on top of joke, and everybody at the table is having a good time, that's a good, like, tension breaker. That's a good just general moment for everybody to laugh, and that has a purpose, and that's fine, but... If it's something that becomes where everybody's now ignoring the scenario and is then just trying to find another joke or another end, then you've lost the moment. Yeah, I think uh, even my 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 comedy tastes have changed over time. So, stand-up comic com- comics. So, um, I I know that if I seeing someone who's just telling jokes on stage, kind of where. Where you have this, okay, I, I trying to get for the highest laugh, the density possible. It's tiring. It's really, really tiring. Um, but if someone has an organic flow to their show, and and uh, it's it's a mixture of of thoughtfulness and and then the jokes come come out of 
the way it is set up, um, it's much more satisfying and much more longer lasting um, uh, entertainment. That's not actually too dissimilar to, I think, how uh, one shots versus campaigns kind of work. I think the idea, the beauty of the one shot is that it's a self-contained story. It's, it's you know, has your beginning and middle end and it's every, everything is as how big of an impact can I make? It, very rarely is it super subtle because uh, it cannot be elongated. It has to be done in one sitting, right? Or maybe two sittings, depending on how long it takes. But with the you know campaign, you have the ability to have everything slowly work its way up, create that gradual flow to where something maybe not as explosive as you know the grand twist of a one shot is typically a big boss battle or a big you know turn or somebody was secretly an illusion or a you know doppelganger or something like that. Whereas in a single session, maybe nothing happens. Maybe you just shopped. Maybe you just had conversation, RP'd, or just walked to the next town where the, the big action will start. But sometimes the biggest reveal is then just one of those small types of things of like, oh, then you return to the town and somebody's missing, which was a hook in maybe the case of a one-shot. But to you is like, oh, no, this character who I've made friends with for so, so long or I've been worried about them or they said somebody's coming after them and now they're missing, that's a big moment. Yeah. Yeah, and I think it's... It really depends on on how seriously I think that's that's the term you used in the beginning. How seriously a, a player takes takes a character if they're really going in and invest themselves in the character. I think that kind of automatically uh, prevents this joke gaming. Yeah, I mean, I, I can definitely see where that works. We're chugging along the line here. Let's see what's a. We actually hit a lot, a lot of them already. It's, uh, it kind of works out perfectly. Oh yeah, well this this one. So, um, your game should always be without any sort of fudging or lying about the dice from the GM or from the players. Yes or no? Yes. <laughs> so you 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 hundred percent rule as the role is. Yeah, I mean, you can. So I say, when the dice are rolled, the the the, the dice are a kind of truce. So that's what we are dealing with, and that's where I've talked about it already. Where the risk comes in, and maybe even the fun. You can you can think a bit about how you interpret it, and you can think a bit about. Uh, before the roll, how to set it up. So is there any way to gain an advantage or any way to, to make it easier for me to do it? But I'm, I'm very much a fan of, of doing public roles. So just everyone sees what's happening and then you deal with what, what is, well, yeah. Because that's one of the ones uh, I wanted to talk about because having played online and in person, a lot of the times you can't bullshit in person, obviously. Everybody's rolling at the table. But if you ever played in an online game, unless you're all going natively through a, a software or a browser or something yeah. like that, there's a lot of people who bring in their dice and just go, you know, clink. Oh, yeah, that was a 17. And there's a lot yeah. of trust there. And if possibly the person was like, I really don't want to die or I really want to hit, they have all the means in the world to lie. Yeah, but then again, why? The, 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 that's what we talked about. Why play then in the first place? I mean, if you just play, I, I think you can't win at role playing. <laughs> and this is very much if you cheat with your dice, you're coming very much from the from the idea I want to win at role playing, <laughs> and that's just that's just silly to me. <laughs> True, but th remember, this was this is the kind of shift that's happened now in RPGs and this kind of new Renaissance era that we're having now. Where a lot, either a lot of older players are coming back into it, or who have already stayed with it are now meeting with new players who got into it from a more RPG role playing. Sorry, uh, from a more role playing than game centered, war game centered approach. So there's a lot of people, and the reason I again brought this um, statement out was because I think there's. A lot of people who almost want it just to be collective storytelling because they want to do the cool thing. 
And a yeah. die, unfortunately, sometimes, even with all the circumstances working in your favor and you have all the pluses and the bonuses and whatever, you can still roll with the lowest value. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. But, um, yeah, but, but if you don't, that, if you can't deal with that, then maybe dice placed role playing games aren't the right fit for you. Or you should look for a different system. I mean, I know the D&D is kind of the, the standard role-playing system because, well, it's just been around very for a very long time and with critical role, etc., it's it's gotten a huge boost again. But there are so many other role-playing systems out there that allow you to, even if they use dice, to, to do more of this collaborative role uh, storytelling. And then maybe you just playing the wrong system for you. Um, so, for example, uh, the Doctor Who role-playing system uh, has a very fun initiative uh, system. So, and it goes, everyone whose action is to talk goes first. So, and that's no, no roles involved, usually. So, if you want to talk, if you run, and everything that involves dice comes at the third or fourth place. So you really have a lot of possibilities to do other stuff that don't rely on dice. Or going back to, to the uh, Legend of the Five Rings, you have this, you have ways to boost your roles, or uh, I think Fate does it as well with Fate points. Um, so there are systems out there that allow you to, that have this kind of fudging built in. Mm -hmm. So you can fudge within the rules. <laughs> and there's a lot of opportunities too. Like if you ever talk to any GM or DM who, you know, most I think are, again, are towards the players. They want to help out the players. If there's something you're really worried about that, like, I don't like, you know, the fact that it comes down to a die roll or maybe one die roll. I've had this happen. My, my anecdotes early on, I used to sum up conversations with a single die roll, a persuasion roll or a charisma roll to be like, well, yeah. did they find you persuasive or did they find you not? And then uh, it was kind of a big deal because they were speaking in front of what amounts to kind of like a Congress or, you know, a council to get, you know, a, a motion passed. And he spoke. He he wrote out all the points he wanted to make ahead of time. So then he gave his bit. He made his role. Wasn't very good. It didn't pass. He talked to me after the session. He was like, for everything that we did, for everything, like how important that was, could there have been more of those? Like for each of my individual points or maybe at different points of my conversation or when I was re retorting back and forth with the counselors? Because I feel like all that coming, you know, I think that was a 15, 20 minute part of our game. For that 15, 20 minutes, coming down to one roll, I felt like was unfair. And I was like, yeah. you know what? You made a good point. I, and I've now since then started instituting kind of the um, – one second. So, yeah. So, I've now instituted sort of a uh, flow mechanic of like when things are going your way, you have to roll less because you've already got them on your side. When things are going against your way, you roll more because there's more points of contention. But ultimately, like, you're winning them over. You don't have to, you know, win them over maybe one more good roll, and they're on your side. But if you start off on a bad foot, now you're playing catch-up. Now you're going to have to make a lot more good points. So I, I've started using that thanks to that feedback I got. Yeah. I think, uh, I don't know if it's fate or if it's the cipher system. That has a really interesting concept. You can choose to succeed at a cost. I think so see, I think yeah I think it's fake because th there's like success but one negative or like negative but one positive or some uh, like failure and one yeah. positive or something like that. Yeah, I think there's a system. I don't know. If, I think maybe that's cipher where you can kind of if it's really really important to you and you, even when you lost the role, you kind of say okay, I want to succeed but at a cost, and then yes, you succeeded with a specific check. So he gave a good talk in front of, of the Senate or whatever. But there will be a cost in the long run. Or there will be an immediate consequence because there's someone in the Senate, he really, really pissed off, and now he has an enemy. 
And that's an absolute good way of playing that. And a lot of these answers, by the way, are coming down to if the um, system you're running does not allow you to do the thing you want, there are more systems. There's more, in my case, that uh, can be done if you talk to your GM or DM. So that's 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 a big approach as well, and I like that. Um, yeah. ooh, we're actually we still talk for quite some time, but we're coming close to the end. So I'll pick I'll pick the the one that that I think was going to be the juiciest one, especially to talk about um, your character should have a voice or other aspects of it that you have to act out. It is a role playing game. Uh, no. <laughs> um, you should be able to act out your character, but I don't think uh, you should demand of, of a player to put on a voice or to to have a certain uh, certain mannerisms at the table. If it helps, yes, by all means, but not everyone's able to do it. Uh, but you should be able to 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 play at a character, and even if you sketch it, uh, I mean, if you're getting drunk, maybe put on a bit of a slurry voice. But if you, I'm, I'm, I'm really really bad at accents. I well, I, I can't do them at all. You, and so you've had a great I, German accent right now. I just want you to know. So sorry, what? You have a fantastic German accent right now. I just want you to know. <laughs> Uh, so um, I, I, if someone said, "Okay, come to the table," but you have to be, uh, but your character has to speak with a Bavarian accent, I would go, "Nope, sorry, not playing." Um, I think that's um, that's putting a. It, it depends on the table on your on the group, but it can be a too high uh, a hurdle for for new players. I, I, yeah, you, well, you, you hit the nail on the head. I think that's the hardest thing first for new players because they are, A, new to a game. It's probably a weird experience. And again, like I said, 99% are probably not actors. Or actually, maybe 98%. I, I don't know how many are actors, but the vast majority aren't. So I can understand the apprehension of doing that. And maybe that's not the way you like to play. Like if you were more war, uh, war game than role playing game, as it was back in the day, you probably didn't worry so much about how good my uh, Scottish accent was. You worried more about like, I need this hit to, uh, or, or we're not going to fail this monster and we're all going to die. Like I, I get that, but I will make the one caveat that I will demand that there's something different about you and your character. So at the table, I can differentiate when you're speaking as yourself or when you're speaking as your character. Now, you don't have to have an accent. You don't have to yeah. put on, you know, like a slouch or a, a kind of sluggish uh, demeanor, like you're about to be drunk or fall over. But you have to do something different that tells me that I know I'm talking to the character because I'm going to roleplay. And and I, I, I've always said this, the easiest thing we have is, is language. So even if you just change the rhythm, the pitch... Yeah. The words you use, or if you all of a sudden begin to speak with a stutter or a weird Alan Rickman sort of thing, that's good enough for me. Yeah, I agree. That that's really good. I mean, I've been in, in groups where we didn't, where we don't do it at all, or where not where there's no conscious decision within the group to do it, and that I think that makes the role playing a bit more difficult because. Uh, then you try start to. It's not just for the for the others, but also for yourself. You, it's it's if if you consciously put on something like you described, it makes it easier for you for yourself to differentiate between in character and out of character. And if you demand it from everyone to be in character at the table, I think that makes for a better game. And the longest running group I've been in. There has never been the discussion about that. And we have sessions that run absolutely smoothly. And we have sessions where, where I get away from the table at, and, and, and the train back home after, play, after sitting together and playing together for eight hours with some breaks. <laughs> and I'm wondering, hmm, nothing memorable happened today. And we kind of, uh, a lot of, outside stuff interfered and that's not the outside stuff we were talking before it's just like okay oh yeah did you by the way this comes up and people talking privately 
And I think you know, that's that's a bit sad because we're we are making all time to play together. And um, if you want to talk privately, yes, we can make time before and in, and after and in the in the breaks. But if it's playtime, it's playtime. That's the way I like it. I know that not everyone likes it, but that's that for me makes for the best games. Yeah, and like I said, we had a bunch of more statements we can gotta go through metagaming things like that. But this may be actually another uh, means to get in another episode with you as well, Jens. But if people did want to talk to you, find you on the internet, what would be the best means? I'm the best way to reach me on the internet is is, is via Twitter. So it's at Mister Rock and Roll, and yeah. And if you want to send a message to us for this podcast, the Gmail is myrpgpodcast at gmail.com. My personal Twitter is at classy underscore Don. You can find this podcast on Podbean, iTunes, or wherever podcasts are found. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you at the table.